London. And if you're worried about your parent or a loved one living alone, like I was, and you want reliable senior care information, then call A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. You'll get free information on assisted living, Alzheimer's care, nursing homes, even important financial information. They had obviously researched every place, not just given me names. Mm -hmm. They found me a place for which she could afford, and it was magnificent. We're now very confident that she's safe, and they just helped every step of the way, and I can't thank them enough. So if you're struggling to find reliable senior living information, call a place for mom. This is a free service, and you can trust them to help you. If you're struggling to find reliable senior living information for your mom or dad, then call or go online to get the free help you need during this turbulent time. Call now, conservative in the cradle of liberty you'll want to listen when chuck moore speaks on the information radio network good, good afternoon chuck morse monday through friday here at the irn usa radio network and uh, welcome to the program 1-844-439-1391 if you'd like to join us Eight four 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 three nine one three nine one. As the station continues to develop its new studios in downtown Memphis, we're still having a few technical, minor technical problems, but the things are working out in this great technological age. You know, we're still dependent on uh, cables and buttons and giz- you know various gadgets. I- I'm certainly it's it's my weakest point in this business, understanding all of it. But here we go. We are joined by Tamara Piety. She's a, the Phyllis Hurley Fry Professor of Law at uh, Tulsa Law School. Uh, Tamara, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Uh, your expertise is uh, First Amendment issues as they pertain to uh, commercial speech, uh, corporate speech, as it were. Uh, you're the author of the book, Brandishing the First Amendment, Commercial Expression in America. Um, and you've uh, weighed in pretty heavily on the um, on uh, various uh, Supreme Court decisions, particularly Citizens United. Um, I'm wondering if you could first uh, give us a, an exposition with regard to the difference between uh, corporate speech or any other speech that's conducted by any organization or group. Okay, well, um, there are two broad categories, commercial speech and corporate speech. Commercial speech might be thought of as advertising, that, and it can be done by anyone, by an individual or by a corporation, and it's usually uh, selling a product. Uh, corporate speech is the term I and some others use to refer to speech by corporations, and it could be selling products or it could be um, political um, expression, and that is where we get the Citizens United and um, other types of political speech by corporations. Um, 
this is there are other types of corporations as well. There are nonprofit corporations, and so those nonprofit corporation is just an or, a legal organizational form, and so you can have corporations formed to do um, good works or to pursue political agendas, and those those organizations are not actually selling any commercial product, and so they have speech rights too. And this is all very, um, it gets all very uh, mixed together in the in the context of this current interpretation of the First Amendment. It didn't used to be that way. Well, well we can, let's talk about a little bit about the history of it. But I guess that my, my initial reaction to this is, why would um, the speech rights of a group be prohibited if it's a for-profit group? I mean, as opposed to uh, speech rights understood as inherent and natural to a nonprofit group or to a nonprofit organization? Well, I think um, the sort of traditional way of approaching the First Amendment, at least up until the late 70s, was that it was principally, although not exclusively, uh, protecting political speech, dissent, um, campaign speech, that sort of thing, and art and expression, that is, um, books, literature, that sort of thing. Um, in the late 70s, we had a we had the court expand that protection to commercial speech, to advertising, to, for products, and the court didn't expand it to include all kinds of protection. It didn't say it's going to be protected to the same extent as com- as uh, political speech. It said instead that it would only protect truthful speech, which is a big Except because, you know, in the political arena, the fact, you know, you don't have the government testing stuff for its truth. In the commercial area, then, you know, you do have that truth in advertising, that sort of thing. And the corporate speech sort of seems to, or my, my argument is that it seems to have grown out of the protection for commercial advertising. That is, once they said commercial advertising was protected. Then a couple of years later came a case that involved a corporation that wanted to contribute to some political um, issues, the case called Bilotti. And the court asked the question is, the question is not whether or not corporations have First Amendment rights, but, but is this the kind of speech that we have traditionally protected to wit political speech? And the answer is yes. And so they extended protection. But I have argued in the book that actually there is no inherent sort of protection for uh, entities, legal fictions, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit. And so, you know, you really need to look at the purpose of the organization to ask whether or not the purpose of the organization is still within the ambit of the things that the First Amendment was is has traditionally been understood to protect, which is the sort of um, political participation. And I think there's a very um, cogent argument for why in the political arena we really don't want aggregations of capital, which is what for-profit organizations are, to participate in the political process. You know, and saying that they their speech is not protected is not the same thing as saying they can't speak. You know, you can speak it's just whether or not you're going to be responsible for what you say or whether or not there can be some um, 
some consequences or some limits put on that participation. But um, if you contrast that to an organization like, uh, I don't know, the Cato Institute or um, the ACLU, these are organizations that are political. They're not selling a product. And so, of course, they should have the same rights that their membership does. Right. But what about uh, churches? Churches the same way. You know, they are not a for-profit organization. They are organized for um, non-commercial purposes. Now, you know, there is a big argument about whether or not commerce ought to be separated out from other things. And I don't, you know, I think it should. I think we've traditionally done that. Um, There are some deep philosophical (laughs) arguments about why that distinction can't be maintained. But I think that if you don't make that distinction, all sorts of stuff that we have thought the government ought to be regulating for, you know, certainly at least the last hundred years, suddenly become kind of problematic. And that's that's a big, that's a sea change. And I don't know if we want to go there. You know, I mean, Tamara, I had always assumed, and I don't have obviously the, the legal background you have, and you're here as an expert, a constitutional law expert, but I always assumed that free speech was applied to everybody, that the First Amendment did not differentiate for whether or not someone is making a dollar or not. It just simply existed in that the litmus test for limiting free speech was best expressed by Supreme Court Chief Judge Oliver Wendell Holmes when he famously said that free speech stops where one yells fire in a crowded theater. In other words, that... The you know, speech then becomes an action that is actionable. And that if there was any limitation on free speech traditionally in this country, it actually was the other way around. It was on the public sector. In other words, it was on elected, uh, you know, people who work, in a sense, for the elected government, whether it be the national government or state, who had certain responsibilities as such during their term of duty, or for that matter, military personnel who are government employees, have a certain responsibility not to speak about certain things while they are employed by the public, in the public sector. So, I mean, I don't think, I don't see any evidence. I mean, please expostulate, uh, <laughs> if you will, but yeah, no. historically that, that, that private entities were limited for in, in their speech in any way, whether they're making a dollar or not. Well, actually, there is a lot of evidence, and I will, I'll just, um, that argument that you're making actually is this sort of anti-discrimination argument about commerce that is a very new thing. If you look at the um, Virginia Pharmacy case, which is 1976, or the Bellotti case, the dissenter in both of those cases was that noted liberal Chief Justice Rehnquist. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is the how over in the time since 76 to the present, the position that is identified as conservative has moved from Chief Justice Rehnquist's position that this is completely outside of the First Amendment. This is commerce. This is, you know, there's no actual argument that a for-profit corporation as a natural part of its um, organizing principles needs to have corporate political speech. Maybe commercial speech should be protected, but not um, uh, political participation. How you get from there to where we get today, where we have these arguments being made, this is discriminatory, you're discriminating on the basis of the identity of the speaker, 
is really interesting, and I don't know what accounts for that. But, you know, the idea that Holmes was was reflecting that my right to speak ends at the other guy's nose is actually coming from from John Stuart Mill and what is identified as the harm principle. That is, we can't we ought not to we ought not to stop people from speaking unless it causes some harm. But there are tons of areas in which there are some arguments that there's harm. And let me just give you an example that was coming out of the Sixth Circuit recently um, that is example of what's happening now these days in light of this sort of expansive interpretation of the First Amendment. The um, Ohio has a very old um, uh, licensing requirement for dealers in precious metals. And there was a um, business that was allegedly dealing in precious metals, and it was reported to the regulatory body as doing so without a license. And they were asked to get a license, and the response was, this violates our First Amendment rights because the statute requiring a license speaks in terms of holding oneself out to the public. Now, you know, this is a very – this is a regulation that goes back to the 20s, and it's intended to keep – to regulate um, operation, fencing operations or operations, you know, businesses that could be used as fences for stolen merchandise. And it's just a very ordinary piece of, um, you know, regulation that's been constitutional for decades and now is at least was the, the uh, you know, Liberty Coin put it in play. Now, the Sixth Circuit rejected that argument, but you see in the D.C. Circuit a lot of these kinds of arguments being made and winning. So the National Labor Relations Board regulation that employers had to post the rights to unionize, or I guess it was a regulation that they had to post Mm -hmm. notice of of NLRB regs, was deemed unconstitutional as compelled speech. That's very – that's kind of different (laughs) – that's kind of a different interpretation of the First Amendment than is traditional. Well, well, I mean, in the case of the National Labor Relations Board, that's a public entity, and um, also, I mean, it brings up the no, but that, but it's the, but it's asking employers, not not what it's, this is not what the lab, the NLRB can say. It's requiring employers to post, and the employers are saying, I get it. Actually, this violates our First Amendment rights because it's requiring us to post something that we don't want to. Well, to I, mean, I, the I law. have trouble understanding that language, given the fact that the employer does not have to have a union shop either. I mean, I suppose that um, if they are accepting a union as part of their organization, then then they, they probably would have to be compelled to do certain things that the unions would demand. Okay, well, the next- Breathe it in, kid. Clean, fresh air thanks to these new air handler filters. They're more energy efficient, hold more dust, and are stronger than ever. And Granger's got over 3,000 different styles and sizes to choose from. Just ordered a new batch from Granger.com today. I love oxygen, kid. And this facility's got some great AO2. I'm breathing easier just thinking about these air handler filters. Get some today. Get it? Got it? Good. Call, click Granger.com slash air handler or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This report is brought to you by Novartis. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death worldwide, but not all lung cancers are the same. Non-small cell lung cancer, the most common type, has many subtypes based on underlying genetic drivers. A new treatment option has now been made available 
For previously treated patients with a type of non-small cell lung cancer caused by an ALK gene rearrangement, approximately 10,000 patients in the U.S. have ALK-positive non-small cell lung cancer. This new therapy is available to patients with this type of lung cancer who have exhausted prior treatment options. Dr. Ronnie Mera, lung cancer expert and attending physician at Fox Chase Cancer Center, has more. Most patients first treated with an ALK inhibitor experience disease progression where their cancer may continue to grow or spread less than a year after starting therapy. Now we can offer appropriate patients a new treatment option to continue treating their disease. Patients with lung cancer should talk to their doctor to see if molecular testing for ALK is an appropriate part of their treatment plan. If you or someone you love is undergoing treatment for ALK-positive non-small cell lung cancer, talk to your doctor. You may be eligible for a new treatment option. You have a mortgage and a load of other debt. Wouldn't it be great if it all just went away? Nine-year mortgage can change your life. We paid off all of our bills. All your debt, including your mortgage, in as little as nine years. We will have saved over $313,000 in interest payments. Even have more money left over each month? It lowered our monthly payments by a little over $500. Nine-year mortgage. <laughs> Where have they been all of our life? If you knew about something like that, you'd want to tell everybody. Whenever I have a friend or someone that needs this service, I give them the number. Hi, I'm Larry Ruff, president of Nine Year Mortgage. This is unlike anything you've ever seen before, and it will absolutely not harm your credit. Call for your free CD and learn how you can eliminate all of your debt, including your mortgage, much sooner than you ever dreamed possible. The more debt you have, the more we can help. Call for your free CD now, 800-383-5310. This works. Call the number. Call now for your free CD, 800-383-5310. 800-383-5310. 800-383-5310. This is a special news alert to consumers who own back taxes to the IRS. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing during the decline in the U.S. economy, the Internal Revenue Service is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers on back taxes, resulting in back taxes reduced by thousands of dollars. An open phone line has been established by Federal Tax Relief for consumers to call and see if you qualify for this reduction. To ensure your financial stability during this decline in the economy, take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call 1-800-210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, there's no need to fear anymore. The IRS is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers, resulting in tax debts reduced by thousands of dollars. For your free information and to see if you qualify for your reduction, call the Federal Tax Relief Hotline, 1-800-210-1349. 1-800-210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. Author, journalist, and American patriot. This is Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much. And my guest is Tamara Piety. Brandishing the First Amendment is the book, Commercial Expression in America. And uh, Tamara, when we were talking about uh, companies uh, suing because they did not want uh, labor information posted at their, their place of work, and this was a rule that was put out by the National Labor Relations Board. I would guess that, that that their complaint is very much within the American tradition, because after all, they are a private company, 
And, uh, you know, it's just like in a sense a school, even a public school operating in local parenthesis, they're given a certain amount of natural autonomy to decide what is appropriate and inappropriate in terms of speech and uh, language in their in their institutions. So I don't know if that's some major departure from, from conventional understanding in this country. Well, actually, it, it is a major departure, I mean, because they don't get to decide what the law is, and the law is what um, was what they were being asked to post. I mean, if you've ever been in a restaurant and you've seen the license in the window or, you know, employees must wash their hands or some other kinds of signs, these are all things that are re- required by law. And so, you know, we don't give private entities the autonomy to decide what the law is with respect to some of these kinds of things. Now, how effective that is or whether or not we should have those kinds of things um, is another question. But at least until recently, that was viewed as relatively uncontroversial. Well, I guess that that also is a question that's been debated probably since the beginning of the Republic, which is where does the public interest fall with, with regard to the right of the institution to free speech? And uh, it's been generally accepted in this country, particularly starting in the early 19th, in the early 20th century, that the government does have the right to regulate such matters as uh, you know, health standards and cleanliness and uh, hygiene and and other things like that, safety issues. But, right, uh, and I, I'm not sure what the um, the National Labor Relations Board language was on the wall, but I'm not sure it had anything to do with public safety. It had more to do with employees. But if you don't mind, this gets into sure. another case that's been making a lot of news lately that I think is down the lines of this issue. And this was one that did not get outside of the state of Arizona. But the issue was an attempt by the legislature of Arizona to create a law that protected the right of a company. In this case, the company happened to be a bakery to not to create whatever products they want to create and offer them to the public in the way they offer them. And the other side said, no, you have to make the cake in this way because we want it that way. And of course, it was it became very politicized because the, this particular baker did not want to make a cake for a same-sex wedding, and as a result, the pressure was brought to bear, and the state said, "No, you have to make that cake by law." And to my way of thinking, this is a you know it, it is the law there now, but it, it to me it, it's an abrogation of the right of a business to conduct its affairs openly and you know, for all. Well, I mean, it's actually not for all since it didn't want to do a cake for a gay wedding. I mean, this is the same principle in which, you know, public accommodations were um, desegregated, right? That you can't, you can't refuse to serve some people because of their race or, you know, I mean, you can uh, refuse to serve people because they don't have a shirt on or something, but not because of their race or or ethnicity or things like that. And, you know, what's amusing to me about the the attempts like uh, Elaine Photography or, 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 you know, the um, bakery that you're talking about, although I'm not familiar with that case, but is how anti-capitalist that is. I mean, you know, we really don't want to have a 
sort of a litmus test for religion for selling stuff. You know, I thank goodness I, I'm not asked about my political views when I go to give my money for something. I just usually businesses want to take your money. And, um, you know, I actually kind of think that these businesses will likely um, be weeded out. You know, the market's going to speak about um, preferences for non-discriminatory um, offering of cakes and um, wedding photography and all that. And they may have a niche or they may not survive in a competitive market, but it's usually viewed as sort of a plus that we don't have that um, that sort of litmus test in, in the market. Well, Tamara, first of all, you might be asked your political opinion if you're a conservative group asking Lois Lerner of the IRS for an exemption. But putting that aside, the, um, this has nothing to do with um, the bakery, in this case, uh, discriminating against anybody. Anyone can go into that bakery and buy a cake, gay, straight, or otherwise. This has to do with the customer telling the baker how to make it. Anyway, we'll be right back. Okay pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-818-5715. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-818-5715. Lou is one of you and will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-818-5715. 5715. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Call Term Provider, speak with Big Lou, and save on term life. Call 800 818 5715. 800 818 5715. Hi, this is Janelle from Missouri. I've been doing Andy Willoughby's three-step plan for almost four years. I love it because I'm able to do the things that I'm passionate about, like youth ministry, going on our youth trips and homeschooling. Uh, We have a really busy schedule. I'm able to plug in my business into the three hours that we have. I love that it gives our family extra choices, like traveling. I love the people that I work with. I love doing the three-step plan. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby, the three-step plan home business system has been helping people find financial freedom for over 10 years and i think we could help you too what people like best about the three-step plan is you can actually have customers calling you you don't have to be a salesperson and you get to work with nice family-oriented people to find out how you could start making more money working from home go to threestepusa.com that's threestepusa.com or call 800-480-2102 800-480-2102 Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. And we're joined by Professor Tamara Piety of the University of Tulsa College of Law. Uh, Professor Piety is also the author of Brandishing the First Amendment, Commercial Expression in America. Uh, Tamara, we're talking here, I, I would argue, about a very basic natural right, and that is the right of a, of a person or group of people forming a company to create a product. And in the case of Arizona, with regard to this bakery, they weren't discriminating against anyone. Um, you know, this is, a, and if they were, then that should be condemned. I mean, that's a, that's a, a civil rights matter. 
anyone could walk into that bakery and purchase a cake. You know, they weren't asking people whether they were gay or straight or religion or anything else. It was the customer who was demanding that the baker create a cake other than the sorts of cakes that this baker was creating. And I think that it's a basic right for that baker to say, no, thank you, I don't create cakes like this. You're welcome to go to another baker, or you can buy the cake and make it, change it around yourself, but this is what we do. And and the reason I say it's basic is because what if, like, for example, this baker happened to be an African-American, and you had someone come into the, his uh, bakery and say, I want you to create a cake for my clan wedding, you know, with, with, with clan images on it. Um, it's that baker's right to say, no, thank you, I don't create cakes in those images. These are the cakes I have. You're welcome to buy what I have here. I mean, we could use other examples. I mean, if it was a, a Jewish baker and somebody came in and they wanted uh, you know, a Nazi wedding with a cake shaped in Hitler's mustache. I, I'm just, I, I bring it up because, it, to me, it, it gets to a, a natural right, and that is the right of a, uh, a business to offer a service as a public venue to everyone and not discriminate, but offer the service in the same way to everyone and not be told by customers they have to, by law, create a product because they want them creating it. I mean, would you go into an art dealer and tell them you want them to paint the painting in a certain way? You know, this is a matter of creative rights, if anything. Well, I mean, I think, as I said, I'm not really familiar with the Arizona law or that case, but, you know, if this is a we want a cake shaped a certain way or, you know, we want, you know, I, I would think with no more information than that, I would think, sure, you ought to be able to say, we don't do that. We do um, cakes like this. Here's our list. You know, if you want one of those, we'll be happy to give you that. But, you know, when you talk about natural rights, I would say, actually, there's nothing natural about a corporation. It's a legal fiction that's organized by laws in the states that you know, it's organized to do certain things. So some corporations are organized to do business and others are organized for some other purpose. And, you know, so it's not like human beings. Human beings have natural rights or what you might consider natural rights as a function of them being human. But a corporation can be changed by the law. It's just a, it's just a artificial organization and there's nothing really natural about it. It's what, what rights we give it um, are the only rights or you know purposes that it has. So um, that's that's what I would say in response to the. Um, well, tomorrow I I, don't, I think I disagree with that. I mean, I agree in the sense that corporations, when this nation was first established, were very much down the line of the British mercantile system, where they really were entities of the state. But the trend since then has been a move away from that and which I think is progressive, and they move toward understanding that corporations are private. Uh, yes, they have to be licensed. They have to get a charter by the state, which offers them certain immunities in exchange for their conducting business in that state, and there are different arrangements in each state. But for the most part, the move, I think, has been toward recognizing the corporation for what it is, which is a natural entity. It's not artificial. Corporations would exist whether the state gave them a piece of paper or not. I mean, the fact that the state gives them a piece of paper saying you're now a corporation registered, that doesn't in any way preclude the fact that the corporation itself would exist anyways. It's like a marriage. 
No, actually, actually, it does. I mean, there is no corporation without the law, the law that creates corporations. And and so, you know, you just don't even have a corporation without law. So we have to take another break. We'll be right back. Okay. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question, Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. People wake up worrying about their job and paying their bills, and that stinks. People in third world countries wake up worrying if their children will have anything to eat, and that stinks even worse. There's a way to help solve both of those problems. Get on the internet and go to usagoodness.com and find out how you can be a social entrepreneur. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby, and for years I have been helping people work from home. With usagoodness.com, you can earn extra money working from home by helping to feed starving children in poverty-stricken areas. How great is that? The only tools you'll need are a telephone, Internet access, and a good work ethic. We'll teach you how to be a social entrepreneur and earn extra money while helping others. Go to usagoodness.com or call 800-301-6177. 800-301-6177. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. Tamara Piedi is with us. Brandishing the First Amendment is the book, Commercial Expression in America. Uh, Tamara, I I would argue that the corporation is a natural entity. It's it's people getting together for the common purpose of creating a good or service, and that that natural entity then enters into a formal relationship with the government 
when they file for corporate papers and there's a trade-off, there's, you give me this, I give you that. But, but that doesn't therefore make that organization any less natural. I mean, it's like when, when one is, it's like a marriage, as I said. You know, the marriage is a natural relationship, whether or not you go down to City Hall and take out a marriage license. You know, it's a common law marriage. It exists in nature, whether the government recognizes it or not. But when you file well, actually, and you get <laughs> the marriage license, you get certain, you know, you can take a, a tax deduction. You know, there, there are certain things that, that you get. But, but well, anyway, actually, you know, so when you refer to common law, that's exactly what I mean. It's like, yes, people can get together and form a union, whether it's a sort of a marital relationship with raising a family or they, you know, can get together to work together to have a business. But to use the word corporation, that, you know, the only way that you can have the benefits of the corporate form is if you follow the law that tells you what that form involved and you file the requisite papers. And that, you know, you're right that there's been a move away from a charter corporation that was, you had to go and to Congress or you had to get a congressional sort of charter to have a corporation, and most of them were municipal and, and big utilities, to what they called the free incorporation movement to make incorporating much cheaper, much more available to the average guy. And that's a great thing. It is very progressive, but it's still not natural. It's not like a tree. It doesn't grow. I mean, it has some various um, aspects that you have to conform with in order to have it. So good luck if, you know, you want to say that you're married without having actually gone through the the legal requirements of being married. And likewise, if you want to say that you're in a corporation without having followed the law, you won't get the benefits of limited liability or corporate taxes or anything else unless you follow the law. So that's, well, I mean, that's what I mean. Distinction. Yes, you know, it's regulated once you enter into that relationship with the government, but it doesn't take away the, the fact that it, it exists naturally, and it would exist whether the government was involved or not. Uh, anyway, well, Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Taking back America one listener at a time, Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much, and tomorrow, piracy is my guest. We're interesting the First Amendment, available on all major bookstores. Uh, tomorrow, we're talking about... Uh, the, the nature of corporations in this case. And uh, I would argue, again, that these are natural entities that enter into a relationship with the state. You know, maybe we, we, it sounds like we're splitting hairs, but this is a very basic issue here. 
And uh, because once once it is acknowledged, I would if you acknowledge my side of the argument that they are natural entities, then they're given the the maximum degree of freedom with regard to how, how to function with very set laws and specific regulations that are determined in their charters, and really no more than that. I mean, I, and I would argue more in a public policy perspective, putting aside constitutional matters, it is in the interest of the of the government and of the public sector and of our government, which we elect, to try to encourage corporations as much as possible. Corporations are great entities. They've done more good for mankind than anything known in the history of the planet. I mean, they've created more wealth, more jobs, more products, more services, more ideas, more advancements in all fields than anything the man's ever devised. So we have an interest, in the same way we have an interest in encouraging marriage, to help encourage corporations and foster them and, and, and ensure that they have the maximum amount of freedom to function in the best way they think is right for themselves. Well, I would just say, um, you know, I I agree that uh, free incorporation and the widespread availability of the corporate form to average people is one of the greatest engines of prosperity in this country. And in general, commerce has been one of the greatest engines of prosperity and and freedom in many respects. However, you know, even the godfather of of capitalism, Milton Friedman, and others, conservatives like Justice uh, Rehnquist in in the Bellotti and and Virginia Pharmacy dissent, did not hold this view that you're reflecting, and and you know, observed that there was a certain amount of regulation that was necessary for a properly functioning market. Now we can argue all day long about what, how much regulation, or specifically which ones are okay and which ones are not. But what you get with this new First Amendment is potentially no regulation, and I don't think most people really want that or would like to live under that kind of regime because, you know, then you're talking about anything goes for for selling products, you know, you, no truth no, in advertising, no SEC regulation. I'm sorry? It's not even controversial. Everyone understands that businesses have to have regulation. The question is whether it's well, good regulation. And yeah, also, well, but uh, not a, this sort of person. Speech, I would argue that uh, corporations, just like people, ought to be given the maximum uh, freedom to, to uh, express themselves. But these are inconsistent because you can't you can't say that they can have maximum freedom and apply the current jurisprudence of First Amendment to business and have that sort of regulation that you want. Um, the court has suggested, at least in one case, the Sorrell case, that that marketing is a form of content discrimination and that suggest that you can't regulate it. And I don't think that's, so I don't think you can have that. But, you know, like I said, read read Justice Rehnquist's dissent in, in right. these cases and you'll see. No, it's interesting. And I mean, I haven't read it. Uh, I would think that marketing would be would be free speech as long as it comports to honesty. And, uh, and if it doesn't, then the system itself can take care of that well, in the form of lawsuits. Well, no, that see, you can't bring a lawsuit, though, if the First Amendment protects you. And just look at Alvarez, the Stolen Valor case. The, the Supreme Court said that law that prohibited people from claiming that they had Medal of Honor or something was, was unconstitutional. So in the ordinary First Amendment area, you can lie. And so if you apply that to marketing, I think that's a really problematic standard. And I actually think the Stolen Valor case was a problematic standard. I think a lot of us would right. think that that's really a that's not a good thing, but 
the court said it was well, protected. Well, I, mean, I suppose so. you can lie, but the problem is that if you do lie, then you're going to be subject to lawsuits. You know, maybe, going, maybe not. You know, you're going to be lying about someone. It, it gets into obviously, you, you know, you know, lying comes into an area of slander and, and libel. And, and right, and the Supreme Court has said in, in, in New York Times versus Sullivan that if you're talking about public figures and in a political context, you have a, a very, very high evidentiary standard of malice. You know, you have to show that the person yeah, knew that it was that, a lie and that they did it with malice, and that's hard sure. to satisfy. No, I agree with that. I mean, in politics, you know, if you tell false politicians they can't lie, they'll all pack up the bag. <laughs> but, uh, but on the issue of corporations, uh, you know, if if they're lying, if they're by omission, I mean, they could be held seriously liable. I and mean, if a drug company lies about only the drug only under the current law that doesn't allow the First Amendment to be raised as a defense. But remember, like if you're a watcher of Downton Abbey, Mr. Bates goes in to buy that leg straightener, and he asks if it works, and the merchant says, "Well, as I sell it, would it not? Would it not work?" Right. And you know, that's it in commerce. So, well, and he could be sued. Okay, we'll be right <laughs> If something in this facility breaks, bends, or bursts, Granger's got our back. 20 cases of disc springs from Granger.com, new rotary encoder ordered on Granger's mobile app, a dozen splash goggles from the local Granger branch. What more could you want in life? Granger has over 1 million products for all our facility's needs. 1 million. That's a one followed by six zeros, kid. Everything we need whenever we need it. Get it? Got it? Good. Call? Click Granger.com or stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. Today in America, people wake up worrying about their job and paying their bills, and that stinks. People in third world countries wake up worrying if their children will have anything to eat, and that stinks even worse. There's a way to help solve both of those problems. With USAGoodness.com, you can earn extra money working from home by helping to feed starving children in poverty-stricken areas. How great is that? Go to USAGoodness.com or call 800-301-6177. Chuck Morse speaks. Tamar Piety is the author of Brandishing the First Amendment, Commercial Expression in America. Uh, Tomorrow, we didn't even get to uh, talk about Citizens United, which I think was a a decision upholding the right to assemble. Uh, But um, briefly, uh, what was your brief on that? On Citizens United? Um, Well, it's... It may be it may be too too complicated to get into the last few minutes, right. but um, it's, because we only have a minute, I just want to ask you a quick yeah. question about that. There is nothing in that decision that says that the corporation is a person. That's an urban myth, isn't it? Um, yeah, there is a lot of language that suggests that the corporation is not a disfavored speaker, and that is, I think, the source of that. Um, that okay. because it wasn't quite that explicit, but also that principle goes back to the very founding of the republic, in that corporations were always viewed, as are any organization where people get together, as having certain rights of a person in the broad sense, not in the sense that they can go out and have a dinner and get married, but in the sense that they have a right to uh, express themselves collectively. You know, I hate that. Word. Well, actually, that was not always the case until until, as I say, the late 1970s, and you know. 
I can't summarize all of those, but you know, look at the 1970s cases. Um, these, um, you know, this is exactly the question that was asked in Bellotti and that wasn't really answered and still isn't answered today. But corporations don't have all of the constitutional rights that people do. Not all, but um, wasn't that the case argued by Daniel Webster in the in Dartmouth College versus New Hampshire in, in 1817, which established um, the idea of corporations having the rights of a so-called person? It, to some extent, yes, but not. it didn't answer all of the questions, obviously, because then it was raised again in Bellotti in 78. Um, it's, it's just there are many different rights associated with, with personhood, legal personhood, that is, you know, one of the problems with law is that you use words like person in both very specific terms, like legal terms, and then ordinary conversation, and they're not the same thing a lot of times. But right. So there are a lot of different rights that are associated with being a person. And Tomorrow, Piety, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. We'll do it again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. ...for a home comes with a lot of to-dos. Fix the AC, build a deck, remodel the kitchen... Whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians, handymen, remodelers, whatever type of home pro you need. HomeAdvisor is absolutely free to use. At HomeAdvisor, you don't have to search through a long list of pros. With just a few clicks, HomeAdvisor matches you with pros who provide the exact services you need. You can read customer reviews of the pros, even use the cost guide to find out what hundreds of other home projects cost in your area. Because HomeAdvisor knows it's important to find a pro you can trust in your home, they conduct background checks on their service professionals. It's just one of the reasons more than 25 million homeowners have used HomeAdvisor. Go to rebuildhomeadvisor.com to find the right pro for your project. That's rebuild.homeadvisor.com. We knew that Thomas Edison gave us the first commercial light bulb. But did you know he invented alkaline batteries and an electric train? Edison said, if we all did the things we're capable of, we would astound ourselves. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. For almost two decades, I've been helping families build home businesses. Many have been astounded at what they've been able to achieve. Today, I want to introduce you to my newest and most exciting home business concept ever. It's MaxAchieve.com. If you'd like to earn $500 to $5,000 or more a month working from home, check out MaxAchieve.com. This is more than a home business. At MaxAchieve, we want to help you experience more success in all areas of your life. To find out how you could astound yourself, go to MaxAchieve.com. That's MaxAchieve.com. Or call 800-801-3465. 800-801-3465. conservative in the cradle of liberty you'll want to listen when chuck moore speaks on the information radio network yeah thank you very much hour number two of chuck moore speaks here at the iran usa radio network thanks for listening you're welcome to join us 844-439-1391 
1391. We are awaiting the arrival of my guest, David G. Clark. David is a candidate for the presidency of the United States. He is a former investment advisor with Morgan Stanley, presently an investment advisor with Smith Barney. Um, his issue is finance, and his platform is one single issue, which in and of itself interests me because it's uh, it, it has a very American feel to it. But when you have someone who focuses on one thing, they get up into the uh, you know, into the platform, and they they engage in the debate publicly, and uh, and they raise public awareness regarding that issue. Sometimes the issue may not even seem that important, but there is something so basic and so American about doing this, about about really having the effect of changing the culture. Ultimately, in most cases, in some cases maybe, uh, when one does raise awareness on an issue. And I've interviewed countless people who get focused on one issue, whether it be the Common Core curriculum in our schools, whether it be uh, – I've had uh, Renisa Dave Johnson on this program from the far left who was focused, and I think quite well, on the issue of, uh, of China trade and the trade imbalance, what that's doing to labor, what that does to the American economy. And when someone does focus on an issue like that, and really hammers away at it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and they write about it, they do interviews, and they write articles for the, the newspapers, they can have an impact. They can make a difference. And uh, David Clark's issue is the national budget, uh, and the fact that the national budget is now up in the atmosphere of, I believe, it's $17 trillion. We might note that... Um, it was uh, earlier this year, there was the so-called government shutdown, where the Republican House of Representatives refused to uh, approve the president's budget and, and, and uh, increases in Obamacare. And the result was that the, with their refusal to do so and to raise the debt ceiling in order to approve that budget, the uh, public government shut down for about two weeks. And, of course, there was all this screaming and gnashing of teeth from the left-dominated media that this was something terrible and that these people were villains that should be hung out to, you know, in dungeons by their toenails and, and, and all of this sort of stuff. And eventually, under that kind of pressure, the uh, Republicans in the House finally agreed to uh, 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 raise the debt ceiling and uh, approve Obamacare. The result was that in one day, the government incurred, I believe it was almost a half a trillion dollars in debt. It was the largest day of borrowing in the history of the world. Never before has any government today or historically borrowed so much money from the big banks in one day. Money at interest, I would point out, and increase the national debt from at that point sixteen to then subsequently seventeen trillion dollars. The other aspect, of course, to that was that Obamacare was allowed to go through in the funding of it, and that resulted in the disaster that we had with regard to the the website, which was nothing compared to the 
the fact that people who had thought that their insurance would remain the same, as President Obama stated 41 times, you can keep your policy, right? That they were being hit with huge rate increases because of all the new mandates that are associated with Obamacare. Uh, you know, we don't realize that in the language of Obamacare were all these new laws that gave special favors to special medical and medical-related disciplines, those which we may or may not want, including, and not just including the famous ones, like uh, chemical abortions. We're talking about all sorts of extra things that we as taxpayers all now have to pay for and, and are mandated. Now, that doesn't mean that the someone can't choose to have those policies if they want to. It's called a rider to your insurance. But the fact that they were mandated naturally meant that insurance companies had to raise the rates and had to raise the premiums in order to cover the cost of these new uh, mandates. So we got hit with this shocking and enormous uh, bill uh, that the result has been and will be as the policy is further implemented a contraction in business because companies will only hire so many people so that they don't have to then uh, get the mandates triggered, um, and that uh, people actually had an encouragement to cut back on uh, on their hours of employment. Uh, David Clark, are you there? Okay, we seem to be having a little trouble connecting with my guests. Um, we will uh, continue to try to do that. Uh, if there is a problem, there are still some technical problems uh, w with the uh, station. And, uh, you know, this is just the way it goes when you have a new station. They just open new studios in, um, in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Boy, I'd like to get out there and visit. I'd always wanted to go to the Stax uh, Museum. Some of the great musicians came out of there. Um, Maybe sometime I'll get down there. But meanwhile, there are going to inevitably be some technical issues with this program. Hopefully, they'll, they'll be cleared up by tomorrow. But um, yeah, it looks like David Clark may not be with us today. Um, so his issue, again, as a candidate for the presidency and as an investment banker, is the argument that the national debt must be completely paid off. I'm not sure that it's true that the national debt has to be completely paid off because it's only been one time in American history that the national debt was completely paid off. Um, that was in the final two years of the Andrew Jackson administration. After Andrew Jackson rescinded the charter for the second bank, and basically uh, paid off the uh, by, by paying off the debt to them and negotiating payments and, and getting them to agree to those. And then uh, once the payments were all negotiated and paid off, I believe it was one of the few times in the history of the world that an industrial nation had zero debt. And then, of course, uh, unfortunately, the country then went into a, a depression that I would argue had nothing to do with the paying off the debt. It had more to do with the fact that Jackson only was able to accomplish half of the job. And uh, to his credit, I mean, he accomplished that in that while he did shut down the National Bank, he did not shut down the state banks that were connected to it and that were allowed to engage in what was called fractional reserve banking, which meant that they could 
continue to print more money up than they had in-house. And as a result, they inflated the dollar, which weakened the value of the dollar, and you had depression. Well, you had an inflation, let's put it that way. And the, the, there was a reaction to the inflation by the Jackson administration. It was called the gold circular, where they said that all transactions have to be conducted in gold and silver, which people didn't have. And so the result was that there just wasn't, there was a complete reversal in the amount of currency in the economy, and there was just not enough money to go around after that, and there was a depression. But um, getting back to David Clark's platform, yes, it is appropriate to reduce the national debt, given the fact that if you take a look at the annual expenditures and you take a look at the budget, which is published every year, you will see that the, I think it's the second largest or the third largest item on that budget is the payment of the interest on the national debt. It's something like 30% of the entire national budget, trillions of dollars. And again, we're not talking here about the principal. We're talking about the interest. And who gets that interest? Uh, first of all, a lot of it goes to China. Uh, a lot of it goes to private investors, and a lot of it goes to the big banks. Why should we, as an American people, have to borrow money, and the government represents us, acting for us, and have our government borrow money from the central bankers at the Federal Reserve, uh, and who then sell bonds and uh, bond the debt to, to uh, various investors internationally and domestically at interest, and then pay interest on those bonds, when, in fact, we as a people could ask our Congress, frankly, to issue the currency directly. This is an issue that's been brought up by Ron Paul, uh, and quite eloquently, I'll point out. And, and that is that over time, and very carefully, there is nothing stopping our Congress, which represents us, from issuing currency directly and interest-free from the U.S. Treasury. Uh, they can do this through various means that have to be clearly delineated. We don't want to just give a blank check to Congress, of course, but they could do it, and if they screw it up, they will be held accountable because there will be a huge inflation if they spend more than that than revenues coming into to their coffers. Um, I would argue that, that such a development as congressionally issued currency, or what uh, was called in the Lincoln administration, greenbacks, or what's been historically called U.S. notes, um, such a, a development could accompany a balanced budget amendment and a line-item veto for the President of the United States, and some other stopgap measures that would ensure that the, the Congress did not overspend um, the money, uh, that basically... Um, there would have to be an oversight, perhaps a monetary commission. Maybe the Federal Reserve could do that job. The problem with that that I have with the Federal Reserve is not that it exists. We need a, a, monetar, a system of monetary experts, but that they charge interest on loaning us our own money, and they give, are given this enormous amount of authority to issue things, issue currency. Um, which, which should be an authority that is exercised by the Congress, our elected officials, our elected body that represents us. 
So anyway, uh, let's hope we can get uh, David on the line. Oh, oh, there he is. David Clark, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Uh, sorry Hello? about the delay. You're on the air, sir. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, I've, I've introduced you, and uh, your main issue uh, as an investment banker yourself and as a candidate for the presidency is the issue of the national debt which you, as a president of the United States, if you were elected in, in 2016, would pay off. My question to you, David Clark, is how would that happen? Well, obviously what would happen is Congress controls the purse strings. So I would, uh, as a uh, way of getting that done, is through persuasion. And uh, I think that if I got my my campaign is a single-issue campaign. So it would be almost a referendum or a mandate from the voter, if I got elected, to uh, pay off the national debt. And so I would take that concept and meet with the leaders of Congress and have this is a legal alert for any family member that used the diabetes drug Actos. If you or a loved one took the diabetes drug Actos and developed cancer of the bladder, Actos may be to blame. If you have taken Actos and later developed bladder cancer, an attorney at the Schmidt National Law Group wants to talk to you. You or a family member may be entitled to serious financial compensation. If Actos caused death, painful, or debilitating cancer in you or a loved one, call Schmidt National Law Group right now. Don't put this off. Get the job. Justice and the cash award you and your family deserve. Hurt by Actos? Call Schmidt at 800-651-2046. That's 800-651-2046. Attorney Martin Schmidt is licensed in California and associates with experienced lawyers throughout the country. Our no-cost legal representation for Actos injuries may not be available in all states. Visit nationalinjuryhelp.com for disclaimers. If you or your family were affected by Actos, call Schmidt. Toll free, 800-651-2046. Hurt by Actos? Talk to Schmidt. S-E-H-M-I-D-T, 800-651-2046. You have a mortgage and a load of other debt. Wouldn't it be great if it all just went away? Nine-year mortgage can change your life. We paid off all of our bills. All your debt, including your mortgage, in as little as nine years? We will have saved over $313,000 in interest payments. Even have more money left over each month? It lowered our monthly payments by a little over $500. Nine-year mortgage. <laughs> Where have they been all of our life? If you knew about something like that, you'd want to tell everybody. Whenever I have a friend or someone that needs this service, I give them the number. Hi, I'm Larry Ruff, president of Nine Year Mortgage. This is unlike anything you've ever seen before, and it will absolutely not harm your credit. Call for your free CD and learn how you can eliminate all of your debt, including your mortgage, much sooner than you ever dreamed possible. The more debt you have, the more we can help. Call for your free CD now, 800-284-5572. This works. Call the number. Call now for your free CD, 800-284-5572, 800-284-5572. This is a special news alert to consumers who owe back taxes to the IRS. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing during the decline in the U.S. economy, the Internal Revenue Service is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers on back taxes, resulting in back taxes reduced by thousands of dollars. An open phone line has been established by Federal Tax Relief for consumers to call and see if you qualify for this reduction. To ensure your financial stability during this decline in the economy, take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call one 800 
1-800-210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, there's no need to fear anymore. The IRS is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers, resulting in tax debts reduced by thousands of dollars. For your free information and to see if you qualify for your reduction, call the Federal Tax Relief Hotline, 1-800-210-1349. 1-800-210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. You probably knew that Thomas Edison gave us the first commercial light bulb. But did you know he invented alkaline batteries and an electric train? Edison said, if we all did the things we're capable of, we would astound ourselves. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. For almost two decades, I've been helping families build home businesses. Many have been astounded at what they've been able to achieve. Today, I want to introduce you to my newest and most exciting home business concept ever. It's MaxAchieve.com. If you'd like to earn $500 to $5,000 or more a month working from home, check out MaxAchieve.com. This is more than a home business. At MaxAchieve, we want to help you experience more success in all areas of your life. To find out how you could astound yourself, go to MaxAchieve.com. That's MaxAchieve.com. Or call 800-801-3465. Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much. David Clark. You know, we're talking about balancing the national budget. I mean, uh, David, as I mentioned uh, earlier, the uh, I think it's something like 25-30% of the national budget, which is issued every year and which is public, goes into paying interest on the national debt. Now, that's your money. That's our taxpayer money extracted out of our pockets. It means that every dollar that we send the federal government, 30 cents of that dollar goes to paying the interest on the national debt, not even the principal. So uh, you're offering a means by which we can get our arms around this national debt and as such bring back value to our dollar, uh, further develop, uh, you know, make sure that our tax money actually goes to things that we want, not just paying off the debt. Uh, could you talk a bit more on that? How would that happen? Well, here's what's going to happen, Chuck, in my estimate, as a minimum the value of the U.S. dollar will double. And I don't know if you if you got this email that I sent to you, but if you look yeah. at and let me just break this down very quickly, a household with $50,000 of income, my estimate, and these are just estimates, guesstimates, or whatever, but, I, you know, I think the audience will get the point, about twenty, about $12,500 or 25% of income for average Americans goes towards petroleum-based products. In other words, uh, uh, heating for your home, uh, gas that you put in the car, fertilizer to uh, grow the crops that we uh, consume as food and so forth and so on. And then you've got probably about 10% of income in the United States goes towards purchasing things made outside the United States, China, Indochina, wherever it is. So what you've got is, in a sense, that $50,000 equates roughly to 
it doubles in value and purchasing power to almost a hundred thousand dollars. So you can you can my assessment on a fifty thousand dollar income. And by the way, and I, I want to be very clear about this. I want every income to be assessed as surtax because all of us are culpable of this debt over the, that's been accumulated over the last fifty years. So from the smallest to the largest income would get taxed, obviously, according to one's means. But what this means is that a household income could have uh, pay off a surtax. Let's say they get charged $1,000 a year to pay off the national debt. That's their amount of surtax. They would still come out with close to $8,000 of extra money that they would have, that they wouldn't have currently because the value of our currency is going to double at least. And that's really the problem here is you wonder why gas is $3, $3.5 uh, a, a gallon. You know, you and I back in, you know, 50 years ago or when I was, 50, you know, I ran a farm in Vermont, I was paying 19 cents a gallon. And so the, the question that people have to think about is what's changed in a gallon of gas? And the answer is nothing's changed. There's no added value whatsoever to a gallon of gas. The only thing is that the United States dollar has lost so much of its value, it now goes for, instead of $0.19, cents, it goes for $3.50. That's the problem. And that's why people can't afford things in this country is because the value of their currency is worth less and less each year as we increase the national debt. That's the problem. So, you know, you're getting to you're getting right to the crux of the matter, which is that um, the, the working man's dollar has been devalued in order for the government to not only pay off the uh, you know to, to borrow money and pump more dollars into the economy, which is inflated its value, and spend the money on their own cronies and their own expansion of their own public sector. And now, in, in this day and age, since the 1960s, more and more people who are paid not to work. And the result has been that production has been seriously compromised by a weakened dollar. It turns people on a fixed income. It turns savings, which are, which barely exist. It has ended the idea of, of savings uh, earned on interest from savings accounts because it's not a, it's rather than having a savings-based economy, we have a debt-based economy. And, um, you know, you, you say the solution is a, a surtax on everyone's income. I guess that I wonder, first of all, how would we be assured that the government is going to apply that surtax to the debt? And secondly, the government does have to function. Uh, you know, they do need revenue. How would the government raise revenue outside of that surtax? Well, no. What I'm saying is that you would get the current tax rate for every income, whatever it is currently, that would stay in place. The surtax is in addition to that, okay? So everybody says, well, oh, that's too much money and all that. But what I'm saying is that... ...for a home comes with a lot of to-dos. Fix the AC, build a deck, remodel the kitchen, whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. 
Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians, handymen, remodelers, whatever type of home pro you need. HomeAdvisor is absolutely free to use. At HomeAdvisor, you don't have to search through a long list of pros. With just a few clicks, HomeAdvisor matches you with pros who provide the exact services you need. You can read customer reviews of the pros, even use the cost guide to find out what hundreds of other home projects cost in your area. Because HomeAdvisor knows it's important to find a pro you can trust in your home, they conduct background checks on their service professionals. It's just one of the reasons more than 25 million homeowners have used HomeAdvisor. Go to rebuildhomeadvisor.com to find the right pro for your project. That's rebuild.homeadvisor.com. This is a special news alert to consumers who owe back taxes to the IRS. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing during the decline in the U.S. economy, the Internal Revenue Service is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers on back taxes, resulting in back taxes reduced by thousands of dollars. An open phone line has been established by federal tax relief for consumers to call and see if you qualify for this reduction. To ensure your financial stability during this decline in the economy, take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call one 800 210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, there's no need to fear anymore. The IRS is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers, resulting in tax debts reduced by thousands of dollars. For your free information and to see if you qualify for your reduction, call the Federal Tax Relief Hotline, 1-800-210-1349. 1-800-210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network. Thanks very much. David Fox, my guest, is a presidential candidate who is offering solutions to balancing the national budget of that event of $17 trillion. David, I don't know if you've considered this, and uh, maybe I'm really way out in left field on this one. You know, it's kind of very theoretical, but it's worth discussing, I would argue, and that is, would it not be appropriate for Congress as a way to balance the budget and, and reduce, if not totally eliminate, the national debt to issue U.S. notes, issue what, what was called in Lincoln's time greenback, which is to say to simply authorize the Treasury to issue interest-free American currency? And then to go to the banks and basically not declare bankruptcy, but declare an intent to renegotiate these loans under duress in the same way that anyone renegotiates loans, because these are unsustainable. Even President Obama admits in the State of the Union address in 2011, he admitted that this national debt is unsustainable. We're never going to pull ourselves out of it. So... If we hold these companies over a barrel and, and, and offer them a, a haircut settlement, then and and one that's fairly generous, then uh, and then pay them in greenbacks or at least partially in greenbacks, then we can retire the national debt. And while there will be some pain in that there will be a contraction, uh, it will be temporary, and the result would be that we would have emerging from this process a dollar that is, as you point out, truly worth a dollar and that will remain worth a dollar forever. You know, our children, our children's children will inherit the same dollar. 
what could be a better way of reducing and ending poverty in this country than ensuring that the working man and the working woman's dollar is worth a dollar? And the way to do that is to get rid of this debt and get rid of the interest payments in the debt um, and also put in place a system by which the government can regulate the amount of currency that's in the economy at any given time. What do you think? Well, you know, the great example today is Argentina, which defaulted on their debt about 10 years ago, and uh, they are having enormous problems. In fact, the government doesn't allow the Argentinian person to convert their uh, peso or whatever it is into other currencies. And they, uh, you've got tremendous inflation down there. I think it's probably north of 20%. And their currency is uh, being debased uh, from month to month. Uh, I think that the problem is, even if your scenario was possible, and I, I don't really understand it enough to say whether it is or not, but to get this Congress or any other Congress to agree to it, uh, I think is impossible, uh, you know, just for openers. Um, but the United States, this is an obligation. And don't forget, I have a small retirement uh, fund, okay, which is managed by Citibank uh, because they used to work for, you know, one of their companies. And they uh, invest in U.S., uh, uh, you know, government notes. So what you're saying to me along with every other person who has invested in one way or another in uh, United States government notes uh, that you're going to debase even further uh, and make closer to useless or, or valueless our savings and our retirement money. So, so well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that there be a default. I'm suggesting that there be a negotiated settlement with a reduction in interest rates as opposed to a default, and that uh, we're in a position of strength right now where we can make that negotiation and uh, and uh, then pay off those debts carefully and elegantly, not all at once. And as far as uh, U.S. notes, what I'm talking about with U.S. notes is not our bond obligation. I'm talking about actual money, our dollar, not being a Federal Reserve note, but being a U.S. note. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com, or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? 
It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law, this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Special news alert to consumers who owe back taxes to the IRS. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing during the decline in the U.S. economy, the Internal Revenue Service is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers on back taxes, resulting in back taxes reduced by thousands of dollars. An open phone line has been established by federal tax relief for consumers to call and see if you qualify for this reduction. To ensure your financial stability during this decline in the economy, take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call one 800 210 That's 1-800-210-1349. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, there's no need to fear anymore. The IRS is now accepting reduced settlements from consumers, resulting in tax debts reduced by thousands of dollars. For your free information and to see if you qualify for your reduction, call the Federal Tax Relief Hotline, 1-800-210-1349. 1-800-210-1349. That's 1-800-210-1349. Author, journalist, and American patriot. This is Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much. David Clark, my guest, is talking about his proposal as a candidate president to balance the federal budget, to uh, reduce uh, and, if not, eliminate the national debt, and thus restore to its proper place the value of the American currency. David, I, I guess that, again, my question would be that in the process of your approach, which is to place a surtax on income uh, for working people, uh, how do we know that the money is going to go to reduce the national debt? How do we know that the government will not borrow in the future? And uh, and how will the government support itself? Well, you know, the the to that point, it would be put into law, as I said originally, you know, in other words, this uh, you'd go, I would go to Congress and I would say, you know, establish this law to pay off the national debt and create this surtax, and then that would be, you know, written into law. And, um, you know, what happens is, with, with your point before the commercial break, is that if you do something, and as a country especially, that's dishonorable, Okay, which I think you're talking about trying to uh, hold the bondholders' feet to the fire and give them less than what they contracted to be delivered. What's going to happen is that if you, if a country is dishonorable, they lose their authority. And not to say that we're not dishonorable now, and, and not to say that we haven't lost, we're not in the process, where the government isn't in the process of losing its authority, but you can't act dishonorably and retain authority. 
and that's the position that you would put us in. This paying off the national debt is not going to be that difficult at all, because in exchange for doing this, we're going to give, we're going to double the purchasing power of the average income in the United States. And all of their assets... You You put it quite interestingly. In other words, when you go to the American people and say, you know, you have to cough up another grand a year in order to pay off the national debt, at the same time, every year, as the national debt is paid off, the value of the rest of your money will go up and the purchasing power will go up. Rates yeah. and costs will come down because it will, the dollar will no longer be inflated. And, uh, and, and savings will, and the economy will move more toward the savings. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse Speaks Thank you very much, and uh, David Clark, my guest. David is talking um, economic principles generally, uh, specifically how to uh, how American people can take back our currency and the value of it. After all, the Constitution of the United States, Article One, Section Eight, which says that Congress shall coin money and regulate the value thereof. And by coin money, they did not mean literally putting, you know, uh, smeltering gold and silver coins. They meant to coin money was to create money. And to regulate the value was to decide, and that would be Congress, how much money would be issued into the into the economy at any one time. Whether it be uh, if they issue too much money, then that causes inflation. If they don't issue enough, that causes a depression. So, uh, I guess that that's, that's where I derive my argument with regards to the U.S. nose. But putting that aside, <clears throat> the, uh, the economy now is, in a sense, grossly inflated, and even more so than we realize, because a lot of the money that was created is in the form of debt to, to uh, domestic and foreign investors who hold those, that money at interest. And uh, you're offering a solution with regards to paying it back, and then uh, having the government function normally and basically take in revenues that are, are not debt but are, are earned monies, our savings, our, our in- income, really. So uh, please elaborate further. Yeah, well, as I was saying, I don't know if you got all of that, but in the process of paying off the debt, and again, this would be a law that Congress passed, you know, both 
I, I, houses, I assume, you know, Congress and, and the Senate would have to pass on this. And this was done in Andrew Jackson's time. I think he was the last person. Yeah. Uh, for president he was, to pay uh, he was one of the debt. only the leaders of the Western world who actually completely balanced the budget and, and totally well, there, paid there, off there, the national there's, debt. No, there, there's a difference, Chuck, which you know, between the budget and the debt. You know, there's right, a tremendous right. difference. I mean, okay. But um, what they do is they call it, and they, this was done in England uh, uh, years and years ago, uh, uh, pay off the national debt. It's They create this sinking fund, they call it, and the money goes in there that certain tanks will go in there. But And I don't know if you picked up on what I was saying last time for the break, but um, it's like a $50,000 income, uh, household income, would turn into... Uh, for purchasing, uh, 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 it would be that the value would double. So, in other words, it would go from fifty thousand dollars of purchasing power to a hundred thousand. You take off the one thousand dollars, let's say, uh, of that would be the surtax assessment. So now you've got ninety-nine thousand dollars of purchasing power. So you went from fifty thousand dollars of purchasing to ninety-nine thousand dollars. So you've You've doubled essentially your income, and who wouldn't take, who wouldn't spend or give a thousand dollars in order to have that happen? I think any any household in America would do that. This is a very simple process. It's just something that nobody else has ever thought of. I'm trying to get on the cover of the Economist magazine, saying here is a candidate promoting the idea of the United States paying off the national debt. There's nobody out there that's talking about this. Nobody anywhere. In fact, you've got the president of the United States that is virtually saying in his State of the Union address that this is impossible to do. And I'm telling you, it's not only not impossible, but we can do it in 10 years and improve every aspect of the United States, of our lives, will be improved vastly by paying off our national debt. It's like the, the alcoholic who stops drinking alcohol Everything changes for the better when that guy stops drinking a fifth of vodka a day. And that's the position that the United States is in today. Well, well, well why do, I mean, what, what you're talking about, David, is common sense. Why do they ignore this? Why are they willfully engaging in... And when it, I say it, this, I'm talking both it, Democrats and Republicans, too, by the way. Why do, it's why not do they a question of ignoring. They don't have... I've. I've been told by people, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, stuff like that, but that's how I got to you, that, you know, people say I'm a person of vision. I think that most, hardly anybody has vision. Uh, maybe I have it. I don't know if I have it or not. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. All I'm saying is, you know, it's like Columbus. When he went and he got in the ships, he said, okay, I'm going to sail to the to the west, and, and you know, there'll probably be land there. And n- nobody else had done that. Nobody had done that. But when you tell somebody that, and after the fact, all of a sudden it's common sense, which is fine. Uh, what I'm saying is that there's nobody in the whole world, and the, world, the whole world is awash in national debt of each country, and nobody has stood up and said, let's pay off our debt. But that's, that's the first thing we have to do. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay.
Do you suffer from tough, debilitating headaches that just won't go away? Do you have a headache right now? Is your headache medicine working for you? Migrelex was developed and patented by a neurologist, Dr. Alex Mauskov. Migrelex is guaranteed to relieve the toughest headaches. Migrelex is also gentle on your stomach and does not contain caffeine. I'm neurologist Dr. Alex Mauskop. After treating headaches for 25 years, I've developed Migrelex. It's fast-acting, and it works on the toughest headaches, including tension, sinus, stress, menstrual, and even hangovers. Migrelex works really fast, and I love that it's easy on my stomach. Migrelex has changed the lives of so many of my headache patients. You should try it, too. Go to Migrelex.com and learn how to get yourself two free samples of Migrelex. And due to overwhelming demand, Migrelex is now also available at your local CVS stores and all fine retailers. Relieve your headaches and learn how to get your two free samples of Migrelex now at Migrelex.com. That's M-I-G-R-A-L-E-X.com. Migrelex. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much, and uh, yeah, I just again want to thank uh, Professor Kamara Piercy from the uh, University of Tulsa Law School for joining me in the first hour. We're joined by David Clark, who's a presidential candidate. And David, we only have a minute or so left, so I'd like to take this opportunity to let people know how they can reach you, how they can read articles about you, how they can get involved. Well, my I'm on LinkedIn.com, and it's David G., as in Gordon Clark. What I'd like to tell the audience or ask them is if there's anybody, you included, Chuck, who could get me exposure in the New York City media, because they seem to be you know controlling the media. The Wall Street Journal, I want to get interviewed. The Economist magazine, New York Times on the televisions, I want to put this idea of the United States paying off its national debt, I want to put that in front of the public. And I'm telling you, every single aspect of our lives will be vastly improved if we can pay off the national debt. And why these leaders, the president, the senators, the congressmen, why nobody's come up with this idea, I don't know. I've got the idea, and I'm asking people to put me in front of the media so I can get interviewed like this show. And, Chuck, I really want to thank you very, very much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, David, and maybe I could help you in that regard. Maybe uh, contact me off the air. I have, um, I actually do some work around that, getting people booked on radio programs, and uh, not so much TV. I'm a radio guy. Yeah, radio is uh, fine. Yeah, yeah let, let's be in touch about that. And, okay. uh, again, the web, so the website, you, you're urging people to... Uh, to go to uh, LinkedIn, is that right? Yes, and David G. Clark, uh, if I could get interviewed, Rush Limbaugh, uh, Hannity, uh, any yep. of those, any anybody, I, I would really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Sure. Thank you very much, Chuck. All right, David, thanks so much. Take care. Take care, and, you uh, too. I thanks. shall okay. return, you bet, I shall return, God willing, tomorrow at the usual time here at the IRN USA Radio Network. Uh, Chuck Morse Speaks is on Monday through Friday, 10 till noon Eastern Standard Time. You can check out my books, which are available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle. Just put my name in the server, Chuck Morse, M-O-R-S-E, like Morse Code, and up they come. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a nice day. We knew that Thomas Edison gave us the first commercial light bulb. But did you know he invented alkaline batteries and an electric train? 
Edison said, if we all did the things we're capable of, we would astound ourselves. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. For almost two decades, I've been helping families build home businesses. Many have been astounded at what they've been able to achieve. Today, I want to introduce you to my newest and most exciting home business concept ever. It's MaxAchieve.com. If you'd like to earn $500 to $5,000 or more a month working from home, check out MaxAchieve.com. This is more than a home business. At MaxAchieve, we want to help you experience more success in all areas of your life. To find out how you could astound yourself, go to MaxAchieve.com. That's MaxAchieve.com. Or call 800-801-3465. 800-801-3465.